This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode, award-winning episode. Um, I don't know why I said that. We haven't won any awards. Um, Of the Knicks Film School podcast with, of course, my co-host for these Sunday conversations that we have that are coming to you on a Monday morning, Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, um, first of all, how are you? Fantastic. I am. <laughs> Are you really? Yeah, no. So I found out that uh, my vacation policy isn't from the day I start till a year after. It's annual, and because I started a job, a new job in September, oh. I suddenly have all sorts of days off. So um, yeah, I'm looking. I took Friday off. I'm taking this Friday off. Taking Monday off, and then Christmas week. It's it's beautiful, magical. So That's, I'm I yep. am fantastic. How are you, John? I'm okay. Um... As as anyone who uh, reads the newsletter, or follows me on Twitter, knows this was my uh, five year anniversary weekend with my wife. So we had about twenty four hours to ourselves that we certainly made the most of. Um, it was convenient that there was no Nick game on Saturday night, um, and uh, yeah, it, we didn't. I didn't have to. I didn't have to miss anything because. Uh, and I, let's get get into it. I guess the team is playing such that they're making you want to watch them again. And I, so I, I started off uh, before we, we started recording by, by saying that I didn't know how to start off this podcast. I didn't know how to attack this podcast. I didn't really, I don't really know how to attack talking about this game. I, I, and if I'm being genuinely honest, I, I'm kind of not even sure how I want to attack at this point talking about this season um, because there's just there's so much in the pot right now um, and I'll I'll say what I think those things are and then I'm gonna kind of hand it to you to give your take on on how you think the conversation should go at this point and then we'll actually get into said conversation but you know you have a team that has significant questions about its roster coming into the season. Um, those questions were seemingly answered. And now some of the answers that we thought that we had are at the very least slightly in doubt um, based on what we've seen since Mike Miller uh, took over, uh, which is now five games. Uh, and we have all kinds of questions about the front office, about, how thoughtful they were about this summer, how haphazardly they were about putting this team together this summer. Um, 
just how mistaken they were in their assessments. Because I think based on what we've seen the last five games, you could make an argument that this team, if if they had been coached by Mike Miller the entire season, could be, I don't know, um, 10 and 17. Would the conversation be different at that point? Should the conversation be different at that point? Um, and then, of course, there's there's all the overarching stuff that is, is a perpetual thing in Nick's land in terms of the ownership and who's in power and are they thinking about things the right way? And, and, and th- those are ever present when you read reports about stuff like they're, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but they're already considering possible coaching replacements. Um, and this stuff is like all out there. It's all in the ether. And meanwhile, you have this team on the floor that continues to show signs of progress, but continues to show the same frustrating things that, that have held them back all season long. And, um, and ultimately, you know, it's a very imperfect team, but it was always going to be imperfect. And it's just a matter of how we want to talk about it. So um, with all of that big, I, I just, I just made a, a pot of chili where I literally threw everything from the fridge into the pot. And I am now giving you the spoon to stir the pot of chili. So I'm, I, I'll give you the floor, Jeremy. Oh, I thought you were going to give me the the vat of chili like Kevin in the office, and then I was just going to spill it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I thought it was going. Is that um, is that Kevin's that? It's a top three Kevin moment. Oh, I it think. has to be. Yeah, That's when he's using Dunder Mifflin paper to scoop, to scoop the chili. Up the chili. Back in. Um, so don't drop the so, chili, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in terms of just the coaching aspect, um, what I found really interesting was that over the last, I want to say nine. 10 seasons, only two coaches who were fired, who became interim head coaches, uh, kept the job. And we're seeing it from last year in um, the Wolves and the uh, Bulls. And and, just, and we should say the Wolves are almost an exception because that's a family lineage thing and that that name carries a lot of weight there. I just want to throw that in. So it's really an exception. Yes. Uh, So it's really just Jim Boylan. Um, You know, I, I. could see Mike Miller staying. I think what we're seeing is great. It's just a matter of how much of this is that honeymoon feeling of our coach was just fired. We really want to fight. But even then, it, it feels like this was really never something that we saw with under Fizz. It just felt like the team kind of gave up. And the guy who was supposed to be the motivational speaker, it never seemed like things resonated. And yeah, it's it's complicated in that it seems that the Knicks are going in so many different directions at one time that they're really not going anywhere. Uh, the season is <laughs> that's so that's so well said. I just have to point that out. That's really, really, really well said. Thank you for Thank that. You. From a season perspective, we know that simply from their record, they're going downward. And two and three is a five-game sample size. And I just want to point out that this I found this on Reddit about a year ago. And well, then it has to be true. Exactly. Uh, it absolutely has to be true. But it, it's basically calculated every single professional sports team of the big four leagues. And it had the Nuggets as the number one team in terms of home field or home court. Oh, advantage. I wrote about that for, I think, like Fansider or something last year. Yeah, no, they have the best home field uh, advantage in all of sports. You're right. Yep. And also in the top, I want to say five or six are the Warriors the Kings and the Blazers. So if you look at those four games, uh, because again, those were the four games that the Knicks had in this road trip. Uh, The toughest team, they had a fantastic comeback. 
The Warriors game, they led almost blue, but still won in overtime. The Kings game was really a great game. And then the Blazers game was one to forget. But the point being is that it's so hard to figure out if this is just momentum. And I, I really I struggle to believe that momentum carries from game to game in most sports because I I think within games it's it's a lot easier to capitalize on it. But I think things change from game to game. I used to believe in it, and then I started watching Rangers hockey and especially the playoffs. Just never seemed to carry over in puck luck. Whatever. Point being. I'm I'm very curious as to how this team continues because I fervently believe that this team will make some sort of lateral move because they're starting to get caught in that gray area of, okay, well, we know we're a bad team, right? There's probably not a chance for us. But what if there is? You know, like like what if we just kind of got close? A chance at a chance at what? Right, exactly. A chance at what? In this case, and isn't I'm that suggest- the question overarching now? If there's one question that you would probably put as the overarching question for the rest of the season, I think in some way, shape, or form, it's that. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm still of the philosophy that big things need to occur, but the front office now they clearly made a head coaching change. They've gotten Alfred Payton back. We're seeing Marcus Morris if he's playing like he played tonight. I mean, that's phenomenal ball and that's <laughs> when he had flames shooting out of his butt for uh, an entire quarter yeah that was i nice. got 16 points in the third quarter it's exceptional so that's the thing it's it's like at the worst it's almost at the worst time that this is happening but it's also at the best time because i think what people also should understand if you're if you're um sort of just in the we need to lose no matter what at least being competitive while it's nice because it seems to meet it's it's middle ground for those who really want to win and those who want to lose even though it's not in the outcome of those who want to win's favor. If you're at least winning some games, you're showing that the players you're showcasing are capable of winning games, right? Because no team wants to trade for a player that's just putting up great stats on a lousy team and doesn't have an impact on winning. And so I'm hoping that that's something that kind of carries over where, yeah, there are going to be games that the Knicks are going to win. The next seven are a mixed bag, but I think yeah. around four of them are, are I don't want to say easy per se, but winnable. Easier winnable. Than exactly. So, yeah, is it the best thing from a, a losing perspective if they win a few games? No, but then again, if you look at the sample size of what this team is able to do with Mike Miller and showcasing that to other teams, then they might be of the belief that, yeah, actually, it's great to see what he's doing. I think we could do something like that or even better. Uh, that player could fit really well in terms of what we do, what we want to do. Um, hopefully we have the assets in exchange and we can go from there. But I, I still, even at 6-21, and 21, I... I'm hard pressed to seeing this team admitting that the season's gone quite yet. And, you know, I I hope we see more games like tonight where at least they're competitive that fans want to watch and it's not going to be this blowout that's expected. So you are looking at this at this point purely from, um, no, I wouldn't say purely from an asset management perspective, but you are largely with, with, with a, with a um, outline of um, yes, it's good for culture slash the kids slash all that stuff to to be in these games. Yeah, I want to see like you know RJ probably shouldn't have been playing down the stretch tonight, but I would agree with that. He got the if your goal exposure. if the if the goal was to uh, win the game, I would agree with that. Right, I would probably have 
put Frank ahead of him just based on how he was performing and just more so how RJ was performing or not. But that said, it's you're you're still giving a guy that you hope to have or be a franchise cornerstone in some way a taste of what playing against one of the best defensive teams of the NBA and, is and, like. And I don't want to cut you off, but you're also doing it in a and, – and this is, again – these conversations could literally have a thousand different branches because you're putting him in a, in a late game situation, pressures on good for experience, all the, all of the things, except for the fact that you're putting him in a situation where um, it's absolutely the worst basketball situation for a guy like RJ Barrett, who if ever there was anybody that needed to be surrounded by two, three, four shooters. Um, and he's just constantly finding himself, especially late in the game tonight, um, surrounded by, uh, zero shooters, you know, other than Marcus Morris, who had kind of cooled off. So I just I want to throw that one. It, 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 we're going to just keep throwing stuff in the pot tonight. That's that's the, this is the the pot of chili episode. Sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, no. So it's the sort of thing where I'm not I'm not solely about asset management, but and I know we're going to get into this as well. But an argument could be made where if you wanted to pursue that Masai Ujiri two first round conveyance of some sort return whatever you have it making sure you get the most out of the assets and squeezing every ounce of future assets out of this core that you can get and again i I think that that also goes to say that the the young players the Knicks have are still assets that doesn't mean that they're trade assets there you can have assets that are strictly for the knicks no an asset is an asset it doesn't you know exactly it doesn't just have to be for including in a trade so yeah I, i think that the one problem I have with these games, I don't have it quite yet, but I could see myself feeling this way down the line, is if the Knicks keep playing veterans in crunch time, if those veterans tip the scales in a way where we then look back and it's like, I wish that these guys hadn't determined the outcome of perhaps three games that between you know the uh, time started and the deadline. I'm, you know what I'm getting at? Where no, it's like I, 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 I want to I see. I do, I do progress but i feel like we're we're running into a similar trap that we've seen in years past of this team is competing at the end but who is competing what players are on the floor when that's occurring and again it's it's not something i have an issue with at this moment but i can say with absolute certainty certainty that i'm monitoring it and it could personally bother me later so i have a couple responses to that um which i'm going to uh, get to very quickly after uh, a a quick reminder from our friends Jeremy. You know, you know what I'm gonna do right now. We're gonna talk about vivid seats um, because hey, listen, the Knicks are watchable again. And if you actually want to get some tickets to uh, them over the course of uh, I don't know the rest of the year, I'm gonna go ahead and, and go on a limb and say you're gonna be able to find some good seats on vivid seats. Um, what, what is your next game that you're planning to attend? Do you already have it in mind or you, you're, you're playing it by ear? Um, I've got four premier seats to the Hawks game that I'm determining on whether I will go or not. But with that said, as usual, if in conjunction with vivid seats, our proud, <laughs> proud advertiser, um, should the game be sold out there, which is very possible. Um, you can slide into my DMs and I will gladly negotiate. No, it, but I think in reality, my friends, I will probably go. But I, I again, think I think you should go to that one. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, anyway, uh, if you want to go to the Hawks game uh, or any other game or Broadway, 
uh, or, you know, football, anything you want to go to. Um, download the Vivid Seats app. You can go to the App Store or Google Play and get it. Uh, you'll be automatically enrolled in their rewards loyalty program. And of course, every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. Um, most importantly, enter promo code OVERTIME when you buy at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Uh, one more time, that's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E at checkout. Receive a discount of up to $100, which, you know, 100 bucks. It's, it's, it's pretty helpful. Um, here's my response um, to you, sir. Um, and this is kind of why I opened the show like this, because and and this is something admittedly that I, I don't have an answer to the kind of, I don't even know if it's a question that I'm about to pose, but over the summer, I think I'm pretty sure most of the fan base, uh, a goodly portion of the fan base, let's say had settled into the fact that the best thing for this roster, for this organization, this season was to basically do as good of an impression as possible on the Clippers of last year. Obviously, we knew they weren't going to be that good, but, you know, that type of thing. And I guess, really, if we're, if we're calling a spade a spade, start to mirror the progression that the Nets have been on um, over the last couple seasons. Um, now, uh, it's, of course, important to point out that the, the Nets didn't always have their pick in uh, some of those years, although they, they did um, for, you know, here and there. Um, that is very important to point out. But I think people weren't even considering that. I think people were just like, you know what? We need to go out. We need to win some games for the health of the organization. And even if it results in 28, 30, 32, whatever wins, um, if they were in games consistently like exactly what we saw tonight, everybody was going to be comfortable putting aside the questions of, oh, are the kids playing enough? Um you know, are the, you know, are these wins hurting our draft lottery position? And, and the, the, the reason I think we were all at that point was because for 20 years now, they hadn't developed any kind of a, a sustainable culture. Um, unless you want to talk about 12, 13, which then kind of went out the window the next year. And everybody was like, okay, well that's, you have to start that by actually improving the product on the floor. New coach. Um, same clunky roster, same front office that had all the questions asked about it over the beginning of the season. But now over the last five games, and again, it maybe it's the new coach bump. We'll find out in, you know, whatever, a couple weeks, a month, whatever it is. Um, we're seeing the team that I think everybody agreed this summer was the team that we wanted to see playing the way that we all agreed they were supposed to play. So now, because of I mean, well, I guess that's my question to you. What we, I, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to change the conversation or change the, and, and maybe this was always going to be the plan. And I think maybe to, to a lot of people, this was always going to be the plan to, to, to trade off, you know, the assets. Um, but what is that? What has, is, is it basically just like the record is what it is. So we're, we're, we're going to, you know, trade off the assets sooner. It's like, where does, do we need to be having more of a conversation about, is there value in and of itself to what the Knicks 
are doing right now? And I don't know if if the answer is yes. What does that mean? Does that mean we we look to trade Marcus Morris in a month and a half as opposed to tomorrow? Like I, these are the things that I'm wondering, and I'm curious because I know where your thinking is, and I, I'm just curious to to hear you um, uh, explain. What's the word? Not there's a more there's a better word than explain, but I'll use explain. Explain your thoughts on this. I think Mike DeStefano of uh, of our beloved blog put it really well. Or he basically said everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, and. That, in a lot of ways, feels like the Knicks season, absolutely. It was a team that, like you're saying, maybe far from what we saw at the Clippers last year, but an archetype, if you will, of what we of that. A blueprint, maybe, at least following it in some direction. And that just didn't happen. And then it was two and eight, right? And then the front office comes out, and you know that Fizdale's dead to rights, and then things don't progress. And then suddenly... You're looking at a team that's four and eighteen, and there's a new head coach. So, I think a lot of what is going on right now is, to me, it feels like purgatory between now and December fifteenth, which it is reality, today, <laughs> right? Exactly. And in reality, it's a sort of thing. Where, okay, well, you can hold on to your pieces, and you can you can try to do more with it, but what is that really getting you? Like. Marcus Morris, for example, last week. Was well, that's my that's my question. What is it? Is right. it is there value in in this in in and of itself? In the team, or in terms of like staying as in, is. In in terms of if they if they could stretch this five games out another month and a half. I mean, the trade deadline I think is February tenth. Is that right? Uh, maybe eighth. Whatever it's, a, it's, it's the first. It's like the first Thursday in February. It's like it's roughly eight weeks away, seven weeks away, seven and a half weeks away. Is there value in getting another seven and a half weeks of this caliber of basketball, getting more wins out of it? Because they, you know, they'll they'll probably pull out some of these games. Um, you know, even though it's veterans, veterans doing it, and just kind of putting the pieces back together into what this season was supposed to be and like injecting something in, I, I, into the, the organization, like guys, we're, we're, we're actually kind of, we are kind of on the right track or is it just like, you know, the second the Clippers decide to give you that unprotected 2020 pick, just like chip them off. You know, um, that's really the question for me. Let me ask you this. And again, this is, um, this is very hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Because it also depends on if the Knicks would have even done this in the first place. Okay. But we know that the 2017-18 season gave us Kevin Knox. He's a ninth pick in the draft. Yes. Team finished, I want to say, eighth and dropped a spot. Is that correct? Uh, that It feels like the drop every year. So I can never really remember which. Because it was uh, the Frank draft that was seven to eight. And then the Knicks draft, I think it was eight to nine for Knox. Well, it. I think I know. I think I know where you're going with this, and yeah. I just do want to keep in mind that that season they started 16 and 14 with a healthy KP and with a healthy uh, Timmy and the whole thing. Anyway, right, of course. But the point being, the circumstances were different. The wins were similar in terms of it took them far enough out of the conversation of well, maybe we will only far this fall to fall this far to hopefully we can rise up and. I have a lot more faith, especially because it was um, it was it wasn't that was the last year of the draft. It, it was the it was last legal, year of the old lottery, the old lottery rules. Yeah, I believe. Right. So, well, no, hold on. 17, 18, 18. Yeah, yes, it year, was. First year. Yeah. OK. Right. So, again, I'm not saying, hey, 
it'd be great if the Knicks could have done poorly and then gotten Luka Doncic, Trey Young. I'm saying, hey, wouldn't it have been great if the Knicks had been doing poorly enough to at least put them in that position where they can get some sort of top five talent? And that's that's really what I look at here. Um, the It's chaos. The last part of the season, the last month and a half, two months after the trade deadline for teams, it's a race to the bottom. And it's the sort of thing where if you think that that's the direction the Knicks are going at some point in time, then getting a head start is, in my opinion, the most advisable. With that said, I don't expect the front office to feel that way because from all reports, their jobs are on the line. Um, Trading Marcus Morris, first of all, there have to be enough offers there. We hear about possibly a first round pick, but if the Knicks don't have a great offer in hand, then they can't exactly trade him. But I think the other thing is that the Knicks are probably – I don't know how much higher you can get for Marcus Morris than a, first, than a late first round oh, pick. Oh, no, that's the – that's it's it's whether or not the pick has any protections on it. Right. And if they – and if we're talking about the Clippers, who um, I didn't listen to it. I just went off of what I saw on Twitter. I guess Woj said something um, on ESPN tonight that the – uh, the Clippers were, I guess, essentially prepared to offer a first-round pick for Marcus Morris. Is that yeah? So it's with the Mo Harkless contract, yeah, and that that don't make sense. But it's also the opportunity cost that the Knicks front office has to deal with, right? Because it's not just trading Marcus Morris; it's saying to a team, Marcus Morris is valuable, but punting on our season is more valuable to us right now because you're paying the price of us waving the white flag in December with just over a quarter of the season to go. So it's it's more than just that, and that's why I that's a good do that's have, a really good way of putting it. Yeah, because it'd be so easy for the Knicks to just do a fire sale, right? I mean, of course, there has to be enough interest, and you want teams to start bidding, and that doesn't really happen until later on. But with Marcus Morris, he's the heart and soul of this team, and if you let him go right now, yeah, you you've kickstarted something, but you're also at the same time kind of. I don't want to say losing leverage, but everyone knows that you're now in sell mode, which is great on one hand because you would expect more buyers, but it also you're it's you're bleeding. It's like you're playing poker and you're bleeding. I, but at, at the same time, you're still at least for Morris, hopefully going to get some legitimate asset in return. I, I don't think they're going to have an issue getting a first for Morris. That's that's honestly the least of my concerns. I mean, if if we're really having well, a, what, what are we going to say? It, it's an issue if he regresses. So. He was shooting about 50% from three last week, which is fantastic. And we know that that's simply not sustainable based on the amount of shots that he takes on average per game from three. It's a sort of thing where would you rather sell Morris, trade him, whatever? Would you rather trade him before his value drops below a certain point with a shot or would you rather – after that happens. So that's the thing that I'm going to say, and I've seen this floated around on Twitter a little bit. I I don't think it makes one. I think he could shoot. Well, I was going to say 30% from three from now until he gets traded. And I don't think it would matter. That's a little bit, that's a little bit much. Here's my point. No team that's trading for Marcus Morris thinks they're getting Marcus Morris, the 50 or 45 or even 40% three point shooter. They think they're getting the guy who's going to be a league average shooter from downtown and who defenses are at the very least going to have to respect the shot in the playoffs. But more importantly, they're getting a guy that they know they could depend on to make the right play um, on defense and in, I'm assuming the scheme of a much better offense where he doesn't have to do as much, make the right play on the other end as well. That's why it's like, I, I mean, 
short of just a hellacious shooting slump or, you know, some obviously an injury, I don't think it makes a difference um, whether or not you trade him, you know, and whether or not his, his numbers start to go down. That's just me. I obviously have no, you know, I have, I have nothing to back that up other one yeah. other than my own assumption and, and having watched, you know, the league for many years and paid attention to trades, I guess. Um, so why risk it? No, that's, I, that's my thing. Be, well, for the for the reasons that I brought up before, is there some inherent value into what they're doing right now? Um, having the team, having the young guys on the team feel like, hey, the work that we have put in is paying off. Um, this is a place that like we got hit in the mouth. The season started as poorly as it could possibly start. And yet this is still a locker room that I feel comfortable in this is a place that i feel like i could build my career at and and i'm probably putting way 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 too much you know uh um i guess emphasis on how much of a difference marcus morris makes to all that but i do think he makes a difference and at the end of the day what are we talking about we're you know we're talking about the 25th or 26th pick in the draft which is important but if if they were, and again, I'm not, I'm not pretending like that that this is going to happen. But if the team was able to catch lightning in a bottle and actually kind of turn around their season, and now I'm talking crazy, I get it. Um, I, I, I just don't, I, I refuse to believe that it's that automatic um, of a decision. Um, but, it, but again, I know I'm in the vast minority, and I know people probably don't want to hear that. The more, the bigger question to me, and this is something that you know. I don't know how much we could really talk about because I don't know what there is to really say about it is what does like how how what's going on with the front office right now? Like so James Dolan has has obviously retained Steve Mills and um, Scott Perry. They're still employed by the team. Um, we we have no reason to believe that they are not still the ones making the decisions. Um, and Yet, it is quite clear that he is planning on going big game hunting uh, sooner rather than later. So we have a situation where everybody in the building, every every single, literally every single person in the building, knows that under some circumstance, what that circumstance is, I don't know. Um, that the the two most important people in the organization are, are going to um, get in all likelihood, get their jobs replaced. So how then do those two people, how do you evaluate if you're James Dolan? And I know this is a frightening thought to even think inside the mind of James Dolan, but humor me for a second. How do you even begin to evaluate the correctness? That's not a word, um, but just go with it of the decision-making processes being employed by the very people that you are looking to replace potentially because of their own poor decisions that um, have gotten you to this point, or at least the poor, the, the decisions that have had you questioning whether or not they are, they are fit for this job long-term, which clearly James Dolan is asking those questions. And that is an organizational thing that's happening right now, as best as I could tell. And it's, it's really leaving me unsettled. Um, because it doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that there, that whatever plan might be in place right now is a plan that is in place, um, for the correct reasons. 
So, yeah. 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 You know, it's, I think for the front office, it's very much status quo, right? There's a lot of outside noise. They're aware of what may or may not be happening behind closed doors. But on one hand, I feel like, okay, they're just going to continue doing their jobs, acting like they're still here today. They're going to be here tomorrow. They're going to be here this summer. That's the only way you can really do. You know, if you operate out of fear, it's problematic, but you don't want to change course just for the sake of saving your jobs. That's why I could easily see the Knicks doing something that's more lateral and maybe trying to not so much go for it, but not take that step back. Again, lateral. What's concerning to me is if Dolan really is fluent enough in the NBA to know of what the team should or shouldn't be doing Which, and what the what front office evidence, should or shouldn't be doing. What evidence would we have that that is right. in any way, shape, or form a even a remote possibility? And the answer is none. Yeah, it, it basically feels like either Dolan comes to his senses on his own or Irving Azoff, his trusted confidant, is like, dude, you know, this this isn't working. And Dolan's like, yeah, I trust you. You're my confidant. I think you're right. That's a great point. I love Steve, but at a certain point in time, I think what if the Knicks couldn't de- if the Knicks couldn't deliver on a free agent in a, on the court, then the least they could do this is probably what Dolan's thinking is find one off the court. Yeah, and by finding one off the court, you then get one on the court, and so that's where. It's concerning to me from from Mills' standpoint. Where it's like, okay, well, if, if I'm feeling that way, a, what motivation do I have? Um, but also, b, I'm going to work harder, or c, I'm just going to do exactly what I'm doing. It's it's one of the three, and it's so hard for us to know right now. It's it's really going to be him canvassing the league to see buying and selling, and it 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 so concerns me that the idea of buying is even an option. But I I genuinely feel like it is. But they're they've they're I mean trades are going to happen. There has to be some sort of guard movement. There's a logjam there. You can't really have Dennis Smith Jr. and Alonzo Trier both on the bench at a certain point. You got to hope someone gets moved at least for their own sake. And it's just a matter of okay, well, are you moving that one of those players? If those are the players you're even moving for a future asset or a present asset? Because I could. I could absolutely see something where everything lines up contractually and then you look at it. It's like, okay, well, you've got cap space, but do you trust the front office to use it the right way? Because clearly based on last season, it wasn't exactly used the right way completely. Can I tell you something that I would be 1000% okay with is if, is if they acquired a player um, that was under contract for, you know, two, three, four seasons, whatever. And again, I don't know why such a player would be available that I'm about to say, but like, like a shooter, um, like a, like a young ish, um, movement shooter who could defend a little bit. And I, I understand those are outside of, um, uh, primary ball handlers who can, uh, drive the lane and also shoot, the, the type of player I'm describing is probably the most in-demand um, player in the entire league. But, like, I would be just the theoretical idea of acquiring a player, you know, whether or not he's going to be part of the long-term core or whatever the fuck, I don't care. 
because he's going to make life easier for the young players that are here today. And he's going to make the development of the young players that are here today better. And I guess that's, and again, that's the other frustrating part of this because how, you know, this team, this team, and, and we could talk about, we'll talk about the game briefly. And then we'll talk about the last thing we want to talk about, which is this Ujiri thing. Um, what we saw tonight you know, was so indicative of the season because we saw a team that was playing in the Knicks. They played essentially perfect basketball for um, much of the third, early fourth quarter. Um, and they were hitting some tough shots, but they were also moving the ball. You know, Denver's second unit was in. They weren't defending as well as they probably could have. And then sure enough, they lost the game against the far superior team because the team that they were playing clamped down on defense on one end and had Nikola Jokic and some other guys who could shoot and move with the ball on the other end, namely um, Jamal Murray. And this team was assembled in a way that they could give teams like Denver a hell of a game, but because they don't have that primary ball handler who they were never going to sign in the offseason because that guy was not available other than Kyrie and Kemba, like they don't have that guy. They tr- they kind of tried to get shooting. They signed Bullock. They signed Ellington. You know, um, it, but it's like this is always what this team was going to be, and they clearly didn't do enough to go out and get the pieces that were going to make it a, a more functional team. And now the trade deadline is coming, and it's like, what confidence should we have that the people in power know, like, that this team more than anything just needs like another shooter or two? And and, and then the separate conversation is. Should they be looking to to even get that person? Which again, I am I would advocate for, but I know a lot of people would not. Um, so yeah, I I don't I don't know, I don't know how we're supposed to look at this thing right now in terms of like what what we should what 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 signs should we be looking for that things are on the right track behind the scenes? And I don't even know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're you're you've fantastic access much more than I do in terms of what goes on there. And I mean, I'm very eager to next time you are working a game to, to see what things are like and in, in juxtaposition of what it was like before. But at least, I, I mean, I don't know if you mean specifically the clubhouse or the front office as well, but just the sort of thing where I, I agree. The front I don't office, know what, yeah. yeah, I don't know what has to click in order for the the front office to sell a lateral move or, or buying like, does it have to be in the seven game stretch? Do they have to win four out of seven? And now all of a sudden you're, you're talking about a season that's what 10 and 28, right? Yeah. And then you've got a four game road trip in the West. I, I think that the plan might right now is just hold because of the fact that things can really change from it. If they're, if, if they're truly evaluating based on 10 game sample sizes, as that's what their word was, then they can look at a Mike Miller 10-game sample size. And based on what's coming up at the next five games, there's a legitimate possibility that the Knicks walk out of that at four and six, even yeah. five and five. Yeah. And I just, I agree. I really, I have, I have little faith based on what we've seen. And I know that it takes time, but at the same time, I don't know how much longer we can give Mills considering the fact that he was in Perry's role for two years. He was doing exactly what Perry's doing. And Perry's go-to moves seem to be, especially in free agency, finding guys that 
he drafted in the past that he really wants to to prove these are the guys that I see fitting my vision. And I simply don't see that being as a viable solution. I think it's okay to take flyers on guys, but let's face it, the every player that the Knicks – not every player, but the majority of the players that the Knicks signed this summer were – most likely overpaid. We don't know what the other offers were, but which would have been fine if they were right, the, exactly. the the right players were, to make if a it were cohesive. Yeah, it would have been completely fine. But yeah, I think about but the fact it's that not. Reggie Bullock would have made what eight million dollars a year if not for the fact that his physical turned up with him being injured. And it's great. I'm really glad the Knicks didn't get locked into a contract of eight million dollars for Reggie Bullock, and they were able to use that money to sign Marcus Morris and then to go over the cap and use that money to sign Reggie Bullock with the exception. But it's also like, okay, well, we, we would still need to see what his impact is, but do you, you really think that it's great having the shooters? I mean, again, it's, it's not as much ball handling, but that type of player that you kind of identified in terms of finding it's, it's definitely not Reggie Bullock, but at least again, aside from most of the ball handling and breaking down a defense, Reggie Bullock can give you spacing. He can give you sufficient defense. I mean, I, I think there was something about that I saw when he was signed where he was like really great on the spot up or catch and shoot last year consistently. And that's all great to hear. Yeah, but, but you know, even that wouldn't change the fact that the best guys on this team and the guys that were going to always be on the floor more more often than not were, were R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, two guys who don't bend a defense at all uh, with their outside shot. And then add to that the point guards, none of whom could shoot either. And it's just it's like that right there. If you want to know what what what's what's all wrong, it's it's literally right there. Point guard plus Barrett plus Randall um, equals a, a, a clunky team that is going to be a bottom five offense, no matter what else you have going on. It's I mean it's as simple as that. And 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 the, and again the, gets back to the people that assembled the team are are you know are still there. You want to talk about Ujiri? I do. All right. Before we talk about Ujiri, let's hear from a new friend. Um, we actually heard from this was a a, a, a new old friend because we heard from them at the beginning of the season. Um, and of course, I'm talking about CBS Sports HQ. So it's a streaming sports network. It's 24 um, seven. Here's the catch, though. It's free. It's completely free. It's always free. Um, it's never going to cost you anything. And I mean, basically what CBS Sports HQ is doing is recognizing the fact that much of the sports coverage that we see nowadays is, um, I don't know how else to say this, but utter nonsense. And uh, they're basically just focused on the game. They'll give you the highlights. They'll give you breaking news. They'll give you fantasy advice. Um, and uh, of course, occasional uh, gambling picks and analysis to get you the, the edge there. Um, so don't forget, it's always completely free. Um, you're never going to have to pay a dime for it. You don't need to log in or any of that stuff. Just download the app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or, or anything else. Um, no fake debates, just sports for real sports fans at the great price of completely free. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. If you had the CBS Sports HQ app, you would have noticed, surely, um, over the course of the day that a story dropped from who had the original story. Was it Ian? Uh, I think it was, was it Ian with us? So. Yeah. That the, the it's not so much a report that you is himself would cost at least two first round picks for the Knicks to acquire him mid contract, which he is again under contract until the summer of 2021. But that I, I guess 
around the league, it is understood that like top executives like you, Jerry, um, the starting the, the starting price is the, or the beginning asking price that you know is two first round picks. Um, you had, I don't know. Do you think your take was a hot take? I don't. That's what I, I want to ask you. That tell tell the folks at home your take, and then do you think it was a hot take or not? My take was that if it cost two first round picks to get Masai Ujiri, and again, this is um, you can't really evaluate it in a vacuum because of the fact that there are other talents out there. But if we were looking at it in terms of if that's the cost and he's available and there's mutual interest. I would feel comfortable giving two first round picks for Masai Ujiri. There's there are caveats there. I know we'll go into it, but the bottom line was it's something that I think I, not even I think it's something I would feel comfortable doing because it really starts at the top. Um, but you know, I, I in preparation for this, and I I texted you this as well. I came up with it was really essentially seven points. Wow! And I, I, I'm very happy to talk go about back and forth preparation. So uh, let's start with number one, shall we? Yes. Number one is I don't think Masai is coming. I think that the report also um, likely coming from Toronto or a party affiliated with Toronto because to me, I think they're genuinely concerned that he would walk. And by saying this, it starts to kind of put second thoughts in the head of someone like Dolan where it's like, oh, wow, it costs that much to get him. I mean, I can, I can find similar executives out there for far less or even for nothing other than salary. So maybe, maybe I should back away. That's what I took away from this, that it, it's kind of, it, at least, or maybe can that's I, something that they had heard. It just felt like a, a smoke signal, if you will. Can I respond to each of these points in, in real time? Oh, uh, I, I'm hoping you will. I have absolutely no opinion on whether much like with Kevin Durant, when everybody was like, Oh, of course he's coming. He is going to, like saving the Knicks would elevate him in his basketball legacy. And I was consistent for the last year or the year going into uh, June 30th that I was not buying that because that, that equates to us assuming we know what Kevin Durant wants, much like this conversation is we are assuming we know what does or does not matter to Masai Ujiri. I am not about to do that, but what I am prepared to do is say that I do believe he cares very much about um, his, um, Giants in Africa program, um, and Dolan. I mean, you just posited um, a theory of maybe Dolan getting gun shy in terms of money. I that's one thing we haven't really seen any evidence of. Oh no, not in terms of money. He, I, I think he would give him as much. He would do a blank check. It's more the the assets that it would cost because I believe it was McKinsey that told Dolan first round picks are very valuable, and then Dolan would say, "Well, I'd rather keep the picks and find someone else." Well. Then go, then go with the jury. So that's a separate, that's a separate question. Um, that's actually the second point, which we can get into. Yeah. So, so, so give me, yeah, no, that's, that's my whole thought. So what is your second point? If given the option between say an executive like Sam Presti uh, and giving up zero picks, because there's a report also that the, that Presti and Thunder management are so close that they would recognize if Presti wants to go pursue something, they would actually let him uh-huh. believe that if you'd like. Um, but if it were someone like him and it cost no picks versus getting someone like Masai and trading two first round picks, the choice is pretty clear. I would, I would take the option where you get the 
highly competent executive and you keep the assets that you have versus trading the one trading one or two or however many for someone who is just in that level if not like a a tier above um i so this is where my hot take is going to come in i i thought i was going to have to save it to the end but this is it's it, it makes the most sense to respond with it now i would rather give up the assets for ujiri if it's two first round picks fine if it's three first round picks um fine and here's why if dolan's giving up those picks obviously goes without saying that masai ujiri has agreed to come and be the president of basketball for the knicks masai ujiri would only agree to become the president of basketball for the Knicks if he was 100% confident that he had absolute and total full control and autonomy over everything that um, was under his umbrella um, as, as the president. That, to me, you can't put a price on that. Um, you want to tell me the Knicks would have to give up this year's pick unprotected and like two other future unprotected completely like picks like, boy, would I be able to do that? I, I, uh, I, I don't know about that one. Um, it would, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I would think about it. I'd think long and hard about it, but realistically, if we're talking about like both of the Dallas picks and like a future unprotected, like. Um, or maybe not a future unprotected, but a future like lightly protected pick or something. Would I do that in a fucking heartbeat because of what that represents? And this, and the, the I'll close the point off by just saying this: like, I, I still can't sit here and be like Mills and Perry were one hundred percent at fault for ever for for the fact that the team is is where it is. Putting aside the coaching stuff, because. Again, Dolan sent them out there for that ridiculous press conference, which if Fizz was ever going to potentially have any like real leverage with this team, and we don't have to get into this right now, but like it went out the window the second they stepped in front of that podium after 10 games. Yeah. And, and ask yourself, sorry, did, did I no, no, yeah, finish. What were we going to say? <laughs> ask yourself if Masai Ujiri is in that situation and you've got a coach that's struggling, there's no way. At least I choose to believe this. There's no, no way that I Dolan sends out Ujiri. Zero and chance. And, and, and there is no price high enough for me to, to, uh, to basically have the assurance that we were going to function like an organization that just didn't have nonsense like that happen. Um, so I, yeah. I'm actually going to have data to back up your points, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute because I, I think that listeners might react strongly to the idea of more than two, even two, I think for some might be too oh, much, I'm, but I'm sure there's people that are insane. Yeah. yeah. But we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Number three, one thing I've seen a lot of is why not just fire mills and keep Perry. And my response to that is why the hell would Dolan keep Perry, but not mills. The only reason that Perry's there is because mills brought him on board. And if mills is gone, the only connection that Dolan has to Perry has now been completely severed. There's no reason for Dolan to trust Perry any more than he would trust Alan Houston or literally almost any other outsider. It just to me, 
kind of elevating that, it it doesn't make any sense to me because I'm sure Dolan probably looks at them as two peas in a pod or at least a team. And yes, I understand why the argument could be like, well, he fired Phil Jackson and he rose Steve Mills ascended, but that was completely different. It always felt like Phil was Phil and then Steve Mills was put in there by Dolan. I don't think if given the choice, Phil Jackson would have hired Steve Mills. And so this is a very different situation because it's not a garden executive. This is someone hired from the outside who really that's the only association that he has is with Mills. Um, I think I think at this point they need. I, I don't want to say a, a house cleaning, but it's it, it goes back to the same point as before. Um, the these two executives together have not been able to um, completely like fend off Dolan from, you know, doing, doing the stuff that I think continues to hold this organization back. Um, I, I, I hate to keep going back to this point, but whether it was Perry or Mills or Mills and Perry or, or, or fucking Irving Azov, they signed their main, their main, guy that they signed this summer was Julius Randle who is was perhaps the worst fit given the rest of the roster in terms of the most important pieces on it namely Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett and a lot of us wanted to believe that there was some greater plan in place to avoid what seemed to be the obvious ill fit of those three folks together um and there was not and like Perry was involved in that and whether it was his decision or he was just complicit in a decision that came from above his head, it tells me that he does not like if you, if you just gave me a situation where it was just him. No, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't, I can't get on board with that. Number four, Masai's contract is up. Why not wait until 2021? That's the interesting one to me. There is a clause that Masai has. It's, uh, Howard Beck wrote about this. I honestly didn't even know about this until last night. I must have, I somehow must have glossed over it in the article. Um, but what's, yes. So my take on that is good luck finding an executive. If you clean house, good luck finding an executive who is comfortable keeping that seat warm for an entire year. Because oh, I think Alan Houston would do it. Yeah. But I don't think he would necessarily want to do it in the sense of what, it, like, what is Dolan really going to let him do? They're not going to be any big moves because Dolan's going to want to keep the deck completely stacked for Masai. Um, it's really just minimal moves in terms of like what goes on. And for Houston, it's a little demotivating. Yes, he gets to be that type of person, but it's essentially a year promotion and then a demotion of some sort. I just I don't I don't see why that would that would necessarily appeal to him because of the fact that there's really not much motivation to do your job because, because he he gets to be president of the Knicks. That's it's a, cool. I get it, but how many big moves does he get to really make? Oh, I think I think Dolan would. Well, you know what? That's interesting. Would I would I be happy with that? No, I would rather. I, I, this is going to sound nuts. I would rather give up the assets and get and get Masai now. And you want you want me to say something that's really going to send people off a fucking ledge? Do it. One thousand percent. I fully believe that if Masai Ujiri gets in the building before this summer, and when I say before this summer, I mean like in time to 
like make decisions on the draft, make decisions on free agency, like all of that stuff. I think a thousand percent the Knicks will be players in the summer of 2021. Yep. And and I know that's going to sound to people like, really? Seriously, Macri, you didn't learn any lessons from what we just went through? Yeah, here's the difference. Like, people didn't want to come here because they did not feel comfortable in trusting their, well, I mean. People didn't want to stay here because uh, they did not feel comfortable trusting. The, what, but I think I agree with what you're saying as well. They Ke- didn't want to come here. Kevin too. Durant didn't feel comfortable enough with things here to overrule, let's say, Kyrie and his pull towards Brooklyn. And then we should also say for as insane per, insane a person as he is, Kyrie never really gave the organization a look. That's all because of the stuff that goes on um, behind the scenes and, and it, within the walls and all of that stuff. Masai makes all of that disappear. It's like, literally, it's like it's like a Thanos snap. He, he, yeah. he, he It all evaporates. So, yeah. And you can't really afford to waste another year because you, you if you want to show some sort of consistency, right? And I, I'm, I've been writing this article that really encompasses the trade front, free agency, the draft. It goes over really everything for the next four to five years. Little, I want to release it sometime in January. I'm really excited for it because it, it's – I'm it's so excited for this too. Yeah, it's been a labor of love and I've got another project that I'll talk about later that's been another labor of, labor of love but regardless – it's the sort of thing where you look at what the Nets did, the Clippers did to get those types of players and it's showing consistency. And that's one of the things that I wrote where it's like, I hate the fact that I'm writing about this as much as you probably are reading about this. And so I'm just going to transfer that by saying I too hate the fact that I am talking about this as much as people are probably listening to this. But it's a total thing where, yes, you need that consistency if there's not if there's not time to waste, then you got to start now. No, but like it's the, the most it's the most important yesterday. thing to talk about. You shouldn't apologize for it because it's the most important thing. Yeah. Um. Okay. What are we up to? Point five, six. What is point five? Point five. Okay. You want the Knicks? We sort of talked talked about this, but you want the Knicks to give up picks for an executive? Um. Want? No. Would? Yes. And I would definitely do twenty twenty one and twenty twenty three, based on the fact that. It's not like there's a year that goes on without the Knicks having a first round pick because it'd be better to have oh, that's one interesting. first round pick every year than that's it would be for like none in 2022, but two in 2021 and two in 2023 and then one in 2024. So it's it's just like spacing them out, <laughs> in my opinion, is best. That's the Knicks flushing their picks down the toilet. It is. Um, yes, I'm dangerously close to the toilet. But that's I love okay. it. Um, I don't honestly, I don't really have a strong opinion on this. It, here's the only thing that I'll say, and I think it's an overarching thing that people need to remember is if you, if it's Ujiri or, or Presti or whoever that's coming, like they, like they're the ones who have to come and take on the job absent whatever picks are being sent for their services so if they're it's almost like if they're comfortable with it i'm comfortable with it like whether it's and again it's like whatever those picks end up being you have to remember if you're like how could anybody be so insane well here's there's at least one person who doesn't think it's insane and that's the person who's coming to the knicks to take the job because they're it's 
there there has there has to be an understanding. It's not like they're going to agree to the job and then like back themselves completely out of the conversation if that makes any sense. Yeah, and the first it's the first time in eons that the Knicks actually have a surplus of picks. It's different than say trading it if you didn't have more. Like uh, basically the way I look at it is if you've got like the Celtics, right? When they tried to make a big move, they weren't trading from their own assets. They were trading from the assets of others. And that's totally fine if that's what you want to do because they're not assets that really belong to you in the first place. So if you can transform them into something that's bigger, then you should. And of course, the Celtics didn't really do that. But that's, I mean, part of it worked out, right? Part of it didn't. It's it's par for the course. And I don't know if they would, I, if I were them, I would have certainly done the quiet trade, but it really doesn't matter in that sense. But it, it, I, for the sake of this exercise, let's just um, – would you say it's fair to pretend that the two picks would be the Mavs picks? Uh, or some iteration yeah, of it? I, I, think, I think it's it's the two Mavs picks, and I think it's another – it's a Knicks pick, and with, with the question being what are the protections on the Knicks pick? Yeah. So, okay. Let's say it's that. Um, say it's two Mavs picks and then some sort of protected Knicks pick. Maybe don't do lottery protected just for the sake of it. And like two years after 2023, so 2025, does that sound good for the sake of the exercise? Sure. Why not? Okay. So in that case, then it would have cost, uh, it was, it would have been Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, and Trey Burke for Masai, whatever return you get from Marcus Morris. And I'm not, again, I'm not expecting very much here, but um, one to the returns of one to two of Portis, Ellington, Peyton, whatever it is, I would label that as a success. Would oh, you not? it's, but it, it's, yeah, sure. But it's like, it's, it's a silly conversation because, but it's, it's assets turning into something like, no, I don't mean like it has to be, there has to be an end game and I, if that's yes. what they're transferable as, but that's kind of how it feels. Even Everything that has happened up until this point, it's a sunk cost. It's done. It's it is not. Right. It, it is not. KP is not coming back. Anything that was done, to, the, the cap spit. It's not. It's all. It's all gone. It's all about. I'm saying what from, you a, from a fan perspective, where we feel the need, and I'm generalizing uh, here. Yeah, we feel the need to 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 make things feel like they were won or lost. Listen, the, you know, or it wasn't a wash at the very least. It's it's been that's nothing, why I'm stating it. It's been nothing but L so far. This would be a this would be a W. That's like that's I mean, no, I'm serious. Like, that's my perspective. No, I, 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 I don't mean to I be agree. so trite about it. But anyway, that's kind of where I'm at. OK, last two yeah. points, right? Yes. Uh, point six is picks could be anything. Um, and so it's, it's sort of like I don't think this team should be giving away picks like candy, obviously, but it's it's well worth it if you can get an elite executive. Uh, I think a big thing is fans do have PTSD, if you want to call it that, on trading first-round picks. I mean, like, for example, someone uh, someone said that trading for Masai would be the last straw for them. And I was like, oh, really? You know, it was like you made it through dealing for a first for Bargnani. Sayonara. That's what I have to for say. McDice. It's like that's that's and that's the final straw. So. Anyways, I, I going back to what you were saying in terms of the value of picks. So uh, uh, Draft Express, RIP, they have really great data still. It's not updated. So I'm fully admitting it's slightly obsolete because the last year they had it was uh, 2013. And players have changed since then. But 
I decided to do the math. So again, if we were to determine that the Mavs picks were two of them, right? Um, and again, we can we can say Knicks protected, but for for the sake of it, I looked at the just for the Mavs protected or both the picks. If they are, I think it's safe to say twenty one to thirty, barring a significant injury that Luca may have. No, they, those, th- those are not going to be great picks. They're not going to be yeah, great picks. Exactly. So let's let's say they're 21 to 30. Um, there were a total of 267 players drafted between 1985 and 2013. That's from the first lottery until the most recent point of data that um, Draft Express has. 267. Do you want to take a guess? There are also uh, five categories that they have. They have all-star. They have starter. They have backup, they have end of bench, and didn't play in the NBA. Do you want to take a guess as to what the number one was of those five of the uh, 267 for those years? What the, oh, uh, probably didn't play in the NBA. Or maybe yeah. like, were like whatever the one above that is, something like that. So, so there were 101 backups. From 1985-2013, that's what Draft Express categorizes those types of players as. Okay. Next was end of bench players, 94. After that, starters, 51. Then all stars, 11. And finally, didn't play in the NBA, 10. So, percentage wise, you have a 37.8% chance of drafting a backup. You have a 35.2% chance of getting an end of bench player, a 19.1% chance that you get a starter, 4.1% chance you get an all star. And a 3.7% chance you get someone who won't play for you. So to me, that says a few things. Uh, Number one, if you really think that statistically speaking, uh, let's say it's, I mean, here it's 73%. So there's almost a three-quarter chance based on this data that two of the picks that you would use in this analogy to get Masai Ujiri would be backups or bench players. Now ask yourself. Again, I understand that picks can be used in trades. I get it, but then again, also consider what their value is. Yeah, I know, and people and people know that value. Yeah, those two picks from Asai Ujiri, and sure, the protected pick, basically seventy-five, almost a seventy-five percent chance, three quarters, whatever, seventy-three percent chance that you're getting a starter or a backup. I'm sorry, a backup or an end of bench guy from Asai Ujiri. For for and then on the flip side, there's a there's almost an exact. Uh, same amount, 4.1% versus 3.7% chance that you get an all-star versus someone who doesn't even play in the goddamn NBA. For a guy that built a, a championship roster out of uh, no lottery picks. Here, yes. Here's the only, here's the only, um, the only thing that's even like you, you uh, obviously the, the numbers drive home what should be obvious to anybody, but I'll just say the only thing that would give me pause in terms of like wh- what I'm giving up is, uh, an unprotect the unprotected pick this year, which I think would be, it would be a lot. Like to give up, well, of course, that that would be that would be a lot. And Giving up a top ten pick for for any executive is too much. But or, I think, you know we can yeah. all agree on that. Or uh, the un- an unprotected pick um, next year, simply because the twenty twenty one draft is already uh, being talked about as one of the better ones. And then, of course, 2022 is is the, the double draft in all likelihood. Um, but theoretically, if you bring in Masai now, that's two years from now. And, and you would, you know, I'd, I'd be more comfortable taking that chance. But it would basically be 
if they could get him without giving up an unprotected pick this year or next year, again, because of all of the things that you just said, I think it's it's not even a conversation. Um, all right, we're up to our last point. One more point before that, not like a main point, but um, for 2022, yeah. yes, a sub point. Um, we know how good Masai and his his team are at finding talent and developing them the right way, right? Yes. So in 2022, we know there's the possibility of a double draft. That means that there are going to be a whole lot of great players in the first round coming from high school and coming from college. It's going to be awesome. It means it's going to go all through the draft in terms of talent levels. But then it also means that there's a lot of talent that doesn't get drafted. And Masai Ujiri did a really damn good job with a player like Fred Van Vliet. And I'm just saying that if you can be in Masai Ujiri's shoes and have a wealth of talent, more so, or even in 2023, because I'm sure some might decide to pass as a result, and there's going to be a spillage of talent that comes out of the draft. And I trust the guy who has made a player like Fred Van Vliet and helped groom him through the system to find that, that, you know, diamond in the rough, sort of like what we wish Alonzo Trier could be not so much from a playing standpoint, but just from, from a talent standpoint. And that's, that's something that I think could, could really pay dividends as well. Well, how about, how about, I mean, you, it, that's one example and it's probably the most famous example because of the fact that he, um, was he not drafted or was he drafted in the fifties? Whatever it was. He was undrafted. Yeah. And uh, you know, but like, you know, Pascal or like, fuck Norman Powell, right? Norman Powell yep. is, you know, and, and look, that's a contract that for a few years, uh, you know, whatever it was, it was four for 40. Um, look like, eh, maybe, maybe Masai shouldn't have signed him. Guess what? That guy was playing meaningful minutes in the NBA finals last year. Um, you know, to say nothing of the fact that, that the culture that was developed there, um, was such that Norman Powell went for stretches of like weeks and I want to say even months at a time over the last several years of being out of the rotation altogether. And then when he's called upon, it's like, okay, I'm ready to go. Um, and, and it's like th- to me, to, a- again, to sit here and list the accolades and the reasons that you, you like fall all over yourself to get a guy like Masai Ujiri in your building is it's not even, it's like, like it's 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 duh that's that's my duh anyway sorry and and someone will probably say well siakam as you mentioned was picked 27th it's like yeah that's exactly why i want the knicks to not go a single year without a pick because if if masai feels like he can get that caliber player uh at whatever earlier number that would be than 27 or hell even if it was like the better pick of the two in 2021 2023 whatever the point is they'd still have that pick to find that type of guy it's not like they're completely taking themselves out of the running to even pick anyone in that level and and again i just i have to just point this out and i he has said this in interviews about you know for for years prior to the last couple of years where he was always going back to the same thing, which is like, it's going to be tough for us to get Toronto to be a destination where people actually want to come. But I know if we keep working at it, we'll get there. And guess what? He won it all, even though it, Toronto never got to that place. And he would be coming to a place which has been the sleeping giant of all sleeping giants in terms of destinations that people should want to come to. So you, you are literally taking the biggest impediment to his success that existed in Toronto. And you're, you're again, you're, you're Thanos snapping it away. It disappears. Yep. So 
Yeah. Last but not least, why not use the picks for a star? So again, this will be something oh, that I'll this go is, for. Yes. This will be something I'll go further into um, in the article. Really the only – and th- things could change on a dime, of course. But the only elite – and I mean elite piece that I see your player – that I see being moved between now and 2023, and I, I'm, I can't believe I'm, I'm even saying this, but is James Harden. And it's the sort of thing where I do wonder if – the Rockets feel like they're peaking at some point this season and perhaps they want to get some more value out of the player. But, but again, it's like, even if it's not James Harden, it's like, okay, well, it's not going to be Giannis. It's not going to be LeBron. It's not going to be Anthony Davis. Doncic isn't going anywhere. Jokic isn't going anywhere. Embiid's staying put. No, he's not going anywhere. He's the next difference maker. It's either him or Cat. be traded, but, but I don't see why the Wolves, do it unless Cat really demands out because he's under contract for four and a half seasons. Um, Kawhi's not going anywhere. PG's not going anywhere. And Siakam's not going anywhere. So like looking at all those guys in terms of age and where their team's at and the contract length, he makes a lot of sense to be moved. Um, so, you know, but the thing is that he'll cost an arm and a leg. And I doubt Knicks fans would even be willing to trade the assets that we're talking about to trade for Ujiri or Harden because of the fact that be saying, oh, well, it's, it's like the Mellow trade, right? We're trading all these assets for a player who's creeping up there in, in age, even though Mellow was clearly in the prime of his career when he was traded to the Knicks. But giving the farm to get a great piece, but really how are you going to build around that and the fact that James Harden takes up so much of the cap space? Um, but, but also it, it has to do with when the – expirations of the picks are because again these draft picks do have an expiration date and then they become players and those players have a different expiration date but picks are a lot better when they're further in the future because they could be anything and uh, like last season we thought the Mavs picks were going to be a lot better than what we think they are now and things can really change so you want to you want to sort of sell things before their assets their, their value decreases so in terms of the, the pick for a star, yeah, I mean, I'll, it'll be covered more. But the way I look at it is it's just, okay, why, why not just get the guy who can then develop stars, who can find talent in the draft. We know he's good at finding it all across the board. Um, imagine if he has the tools to do it in the top five. It's pretty good. It's – look, I, um, I completely agree with you. Um, if you're asking me all things being equal, would I rather have James Harden or Masai Ujiri as a part of the Knicks organization? My answer is Masai Ujiri, and it's not even close. Um, for the reasons you said, and also, you know, to the larger point, and I'm I'm not, I'm not saying Melo was ever as good as as Harden is is now, um, and even in a year or two, if and when that trade uh, uh, would occur, I still think Harden would be um, really freaking amazing. And I think he's a top 10 uh, all-time NBA, um, uh, not player, but uh, offensive player. Um, And I still would not even think twice Um, for all. And again, not to, not to repeat what I said already, but just, the idea that you would be bringing in someone to finally just have his way and no threat of buffoonery or tomfoolery or any other word that you want to use um, to derail um, the process uh, from that point. Um, that's that's enough. 
that's enough for me. That's enough for me. Um, so I think, I think, Jeremy, you have made a compelling case for why, uh, essentially, if there's any way, shape, or form to get Masai Ujiri in the building, uh, that we should, the Knicks fans should be full-heartedly throwing their support behind such a such a thing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I would just uh, go back to the main, the first point, really, which is, again, don't necessarily think Masai is coming. And uh, then the second option, which is if it's between uh, picks and not, it's okay to shy on the on the side of not giving up the picks. But I, I really we're looking wouldn't at just rule Masai, it out. I, I, yeah, I get it. I, I get it. But even so, this is my this is my stance on it. I'm sticking to it. Um, yeah. Well, this was fun. Um, we, we, we talked for a while, but again, I think as, as shown by the fact that I, I started off the episode with just throwing a bunch of shit against the wall, because I literally don't even know how to center the conversation around this team at this point. Um, I think it was, it was kind of warranted because there's a lot of stuff in the air right now. And it's, it's important to hit all that. Um, Jeremy, you already talked about some stuff, something obviously that you have in the, in the docket. Anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, I think this chili is going to taste fucking delicious. Oh, it'll um, be, it'll be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the, yes. So in terms of what I've got, uh, whether you are in favor of, uh, selling, buying really doesn't matter. I've been working on something for, I was really going to be a free agent thing. Um, but then I decided to wait until later. It's a spreadsheet and I'll have it out later this week, but it really, gives you like access to what each team's expiring salaries are. Um, it's got it laid out. It's, it's sorted. You can fool around with it. It's not quite like a trade machine or trade NBA. That's uh, a whole different thing. I don't have the, um, the genius to do either of those things, but it's the sort of thing where you can at least visualize on one page and a lot of huge shout out to early bird rights and Spotrack and all these other contractual things. But it's a lot of fun. At least it's been making it. And, um, it's a good way, in my opinion, for how you can kind of follow along and see salaries that work. And then if you've got those ideas, then you could eventually go to other places as well to conduct your mock trades. Um, I am so excited by this. Um, this is really cool. Um, and it's, it's something everybody else should be looking forward to as well. Um, all right. Uh, I have nothing to say. Other than thank you, everybody. If you have stuck with us this long, you are a trooper and you are amazing. And um, yeah, we will be back with you with another episode um, of the Knicks Film School podcast uh, very soon, where I think we're going to have one more episode uh, this week. Um, A little bit of a a light schedule this week because I have some stuff going on at the end of the week. Um, But we're going to have definitely some more... uh, to head you off into the Christmas break. But until then, have a great week, and we will talk to you very soon. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah.